Welcome to the Adventure Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here. Life is a struggle. At times we are desperate for something to hold us, something we can use to ascend to the next level. Today, Pastor CJ gives us part one of his message, The Three Essentials of Life. Aren't you glad that there are things that we can count on to hold us up during our times of struggle? We hope you enjoy this message. Sermon notes, let's get into the Word today. Let me just kind of tell you how this came about. I uh, usually do not do series in the summer because I realize and recognize that people are going to come and go and they're going to pop in, pop in, pop out because of vacation time. But as I began to write this sermon, let me tell you how I wrote this sermon. I wrote this sermon out of being in an interview with some people from Colorado. I was interviewing uh, a, a couple for our youth pastor position, and they were talking about Colorado and the things about Colorado and so on and so forth. And then I wrote this sermon out of my wife and I and our 30 years, 38-year anniversary of our marriage and so on and so forth. I was excited about that. Then I wrote this thing about being a, an example, being an example, and being an example was we had an opportunity to go camping with our grandkids Last Sunday, immediately after church, we left and we packed up and we took off and went to water. Now, let me tell you this. For young people, if you want a great camping spot for your kids for to, go, to go camping at, we go to this place called Waterville, okay? It's, it's in Minnesota, Waterville, Minnesota. It's right outside of Faribault, and it's an incredible place. It's called Camp Dells. And it's unbelievable, and you get with all the water slides and the whole works. And so uh, I built it out of that because of being steady in the midst of the storm. And so when I was writing this, this sermon, it came to my mind, and I'll tell you why. While we were camping, all of a sudden the tornado sirens went off. And I mean, it was loud. It was like we're in a war zone. And then over the tornado sirens, they were on the loudspeaker. Mark, get to the shelter, get to the shelter. And so you had all this noise, and I had five of my grandkids, and three of my grandkids, in the midst of all the storm and the noise, they started screaming, are we going to die? And, of course, me and Grandma had to stay calm, right? And so when I started writing this sermon, I wrote it out of these three things, all right? And so here's what happened. You know, I always think, God, you know, when you said you inspired the disciples to write, you know, they inspired Peter, James, and John, and you read the New Testament, and you read a lot of Paul wrote a lot of the New Testament, three-fourths of it, and you read about all these things that says, inspired by God. Well, I, man, I have to tell you what God did, and here's how this sermon was written. Normally, I only do regularly one sermon and don't do series, and I was praying on Friday morning, honestly, I, I kid you not, I was praying on Friday morning, and I began to just pray, and while I was praying, Mike, the Lord, man, if you know, I take my journal with me when I'm, when I'm praying, and I began to write, and I mean to tell you, God, Lisa, seriously, it's an incredible, incredible encounter with God. I'm not kidding you. And I began to write. And D, I just, I just began to just write it out. And before you know it, when I got done writing, I was already into 15 pages. And I thought, God, I can't do this in one, especially when my wife started typing it. She said, honey, you've got to do this in more. My, my point is to you, if you will just be still, God will speak. Now, I want you to get this. If you will just be still, God will speak. So many times we're doing all the talking and God's doing all the listening. But it should be the other way around. My sheep heareth my voice and they follow after me. 
But how can we hear God's voice and how can we follow God if we're doing all the talking and not the listening? And so I want to encourage you, when you go, the Bible says in Matthew 6, when you go into your secret place, now get this, get this in your spirit, when you go into your secret place, it says shut the door. The reason why it says shut the door, it means shutting the door to distractions in your life so that God can reward you in your secret place. You see, what happens is so many times we got a secret place, but we don't shut the door to the secret place. And we bring our distractions into our secret place with God. And the only voice that we're hearing is the voice of confusion, disruption, uh, man, all these things other than what God wants us to speak or hear to that you wants you to hear. And so I want to encourage you, ask yourself when you're going into your secret place, what voice and what things are you bringing into that? Are you positioning yourself to hear from God? And when you do, God will begin to speak, and you'll begin to write. Amen? So I want to encourage you. So this came out of my experience of all these different things. So I want to talk to you something about that God put in my heart. And I believe that these are essentials for life. They're essentials for life. And so you know the three essentials of life. And today, I'll tell you, I only got on one point of this because, like I said, I'm so full. When God just gives it to me, it just comes out, all right? And so I want to talk to you today about the three essentials of life. When talking about Colorado, when interviewing his youth pastor, they were talking about Colorado. For many of you, I lived in Colorado for 12 years. And Colorado, obviously, you know, is known for the big mountains and, and all kinds of things. But also, Colorado is known for uh, mountain climbing. We have climbers that come to Colorado from all the way around the world. They come from all around the world. In one particular place, they always come, and that's Uray, Colorado. Many of you may know Uray, Colorado is called also Little Switzerland. In Little Switzerland, the reason why it's called Little Switzerland is because it looks just like Switzerland. If you ever know, Switzerland has a certain decor of housing, the housing and how they're painted and all the details on the housing and so on, and it's in the valley. Well, Uray, Colorado is very, very similar to that. So it's Uray, Colorado, Little Switzerland. But also going out of Uray, Colorado, they have this place. It's called the Million Dollar Highway. And so have you ever heard of the Million Dollar highway and what that does it goes from Uray, Colorado to Montrose and all the other side so or the Cortez and all these things so that has to you have to take that highway to get over that and that is one of the most dangerous highways in the world it's all windy it's twisty it's narrow it has no guardrails so when you fall off the cliff goodbye you're going to see your maker amen and uh, so it's pretty crazy but anyways going up that highway uh, leaving Uray, Colorado, and going up the Million Dollar Highway, there's a stretch there that is world famous for climbing rocks and climbing the mountain. They do it in two seasons. They do it, obviously, in the summertime, and they also do it during the winter. And what happens in the wintertime, the side of the mountain cakes over with ice because of the runoff of the snow. So the ice gets really thick on the side of the mountain. So, I mean, this ice gets like, man, four feet, five feet six feet deep sticking to the mountain. So what they do is they scale this mountain, they climb this mountain. But when they climb a mountain, did you ever realize how they climb this mountain? They place their lives or their support or their weight on this thing called the pinion. 
This is called a pinion. And what a pin, piton, excuse me, piton is, what they do with that, mountain climbers take that and they have a little bag to their side. And they have many of these pitons in their bag and they chisel the end. As you can see, they take a little hammer and they go up the side of the mountain. And what they do is they look for crevices or cracks within the mountain and they begin to hammer that into the side of the mountain. And once they get it secure, that thing is six to eight inches long and once they get it secure they run their rope as you can see the eyelet there on that piton they run their rope through that and then once they run their rope through that they secure it and guess what they do they rely on that piton to carry and to hold their weight as they go up a mountain over 10,000 feet high now I don't know about you, but to transfer my weight on something that is six to eight inches big, man, that's scary. That's pretty scary. But they do. They take that, and they transfer their weight on that little thing called the pitten. And, man, if you go there, a lot of times I just, man, hold my breath when I watch them go up there, especially when they're three-fourths up that mountain, and they're like little ants crawling up a mountain now because they're so high, and they're relying on that. But sometimes in life, we need pittens in our life to help us secure and help us to be established in life to make it through life. And sometimes in life, we have to have pittens to hold us in life. If you have your notes, in our day or in our world that, that can't be seen to count on much of anything, there needs to be pittens that we can hold on to. How many know that we need something secure to hold on to? And we need something that, God, I, I need something firm, established. I need something, uh, man, God, that I can hold on to that's tangible in my life that I'm not going to be moved or shaken when the storms come my way, right? And we're going to all have storms. That's why the Bible says don't be surprised when you face many trials of many different situations. So we need pittance. Life is a struggle, and we are at times desperate for something that will hold us. How many of you know that's true? Ever get to a place where you're desperate? God, I need something to hold me, sustain me, to get me through the day. That's why today that, man, man, I, I deal with a lot of different circumstances. You know, as a pastor, what you don't see behind the scenes, man, I deal with a lot of people that are doing a lot of things out of desperation. And isn't that what life sometimes is? We do a lot of things by knee-jerk emotions. We do things a lot of times out of desperation. We do a lot of things maybe out of confusion. We do a lot of things maybe out of, man, how we're feeling and not what we're really thinking. We just do by emotion, and I deal with a lot of people that are going through a lot of things that are trying to find something that they can hang on to to pull them through the storm. So they run to a lot of things that only last for a moment or for a season, for an hour, for a day, and then they look for the next fix the next day. But in our lives, there are essentials in our lives that God gives for us to sustain us and to help us when we're going through storms. So it says in 1 John 2, 6, I love what he says here. In 1 John 2, 6, Jesus is saying these words. And this is what he's saying to, he's saying to you and I. He's saying this to you. It's not just for me. He says, whoever claims to live in him. Now, the reason why he's saying it to you and I, because each and every one of us here claim we live in Jesus, right? 
right? We all say, hey, I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. I'm a Christ-like. I love the Lord. I serve the Lord. I follow God with all my heart, mind, body, soul, and spirit, right? That's the first greatest command. So we claim to live in him, right? But we can say we live in him. How many of you know that talk is cheap, but action is deep? So when you claim you live in him, that's easy. Oh, I live in the you know, Jesus. I love God. Oh, I love Jesus. The Bible says in James 2.19 that even demons believe there's a God. So anyone can say they love God and believe in a God and serve a God. But where the, really, where the rubber really meets the road is walking it out, walking your faith out. You know what the Bible says? You can have all the faith in the world, but without uh, putting action on your, your faith, man, is dead. Faith without works is what? Dead. And so here's the second part of that, do, that, that thing. He, whoever claims he lives in him, we all claim it, but here's where the rubber meets the road. Must live as Jesus did. Ooh. You see, there's two sides of the coin. It's not just heads I win and tails you lose. It's two sides of the coin. I want to say I live for him, but then I got to walk for him. I got to do two sides of the coin. I'm going to live for him, and then I'm going to walk for him. And in our walk, our walk should be peculiar, and our walk should be different if because of who we are. See, in 1 Peter chapter 2, Jesus says these words, and watch what Jesus says. I love this, and Jesus used this analogy in 1 Peter 2. He says, for it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. So when you, when you go through suffering, when you go through trials, when you go through suffering that's maybe unjust, and how many know we all do? You know how we go through unjust things? We go through unjust things by people saying stuff about you. How many ever had people gossip about you that hasn't been true? How many have people lie about you to your boss? How many have people, man, maybe persecute you, curse on you, or maybe do different things to you that brought pain to your life? And it's not even just what they're saying and what they're doing. But he says, listen, it's commendable for those who stand up and endure the pain even though it's unjust. I found this to be true in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 6. He said, God is a just God, and he will pay back trouble to those who trouble you. So I find this to be true that if you do things, man, and people do things to you unjustly, and they're not called for it, maybe they're gossiping about you, maybe they're saying false accusations about you, whatever it may be, God is a just God. You leave it in God's hands. He'll take care of them. You just keep straight, walking the straight and narrow for him. God will take care of them. You walk for him and God will do the rest right so God will take care of that but he says this now watch this but how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and enduring it you deserve it right man if you go over the speed limit and it's 55 and you get pulled over for doing 70 and you get mad at the cop because he pulled you over was it the cop's fault or your fault you were wrong you don't like the consequences of it but you were wrong and so you got to pay for what you did. Your choices have consequences, right? And so what, what, what is it for the benefit of that if you do wrong and you deserve for what you did, right? But watch this. But if you suffer for doing good and endure it, it's commendable before God. 
Why does he say it's commendable before God? God says, listen, because you're walking in my footsteps. It's commendable before God. How many of you know that you ever had this before? Maybe you were promoted to a job, and maybe somebody maybe retired or somebody moved on, and you got promoted from maybe just the average worker, and now you got promoted to being the manager, and your first thought was, man, I can't fill the shoes of that person. I can't fill the shoes of that individual. Man, that individual was so awesome. They were great at their job. I'm not worthy. I can't fill the shoes for that. And so what we have to do, we have to fill the shoes, right? Have you ever felt like that before? Guess what? God. God wants us to fill the shoes with Jesus. He wants us to fill the shoes. That Jesus laid out an example that we should follow. In other words, putting and filling the shoes with him. That God, I'm going to walk it out. I'm going to fill the shoes with you. I'm going to walk the example for you the way you laid it out for me, God. I'm going to walk in those footsteps that you laid out for me. Right? Now watch what he says. He says in the next verse. He says, for this command, for to you, for this, go ahead, no, go back. He said, to this you were called. You, you, every one of us, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you. That Christ suffered for you. In other words, man, everything he went through, he suffered for you. And here's the sad thing about it. Jesus didn't do anything wrong. He suffered unjustly. He was crucified for doing right. Can you imagine that? You know, one of the things I'm finding in the small-town community, can I be honest with you about small-town community that I'm finding as I left the big city to a small town? Sometimes people in a small town, I don't know what it is, that if my wife and I do something nice for them, they're like, what's that about? What do they want from me? They got this, man, I'm not kidding you, it's the craziest thing. That's like, I'm trying to be nice to you. Are you sure? Are you wanting something from me? Man, what are you? I know. They got something. They're setting me up to ask me to do something. I mean, they got all these things going on. It's like, man, I'm just trying to be a friend. We're so afraid to accept good things in our lives. We're always got a skeptical. What's it going to cost? What's it going to do this? Jesus didn't do that. He laid down his life, and he suffered for you because he loved you. But look at this, leaving you an example. Example, right? Christ-like, Christian, believer, Christ, I'm going to follow in his footsteps. That you should follow in his steps. Man, that's a big shoe to fill. God, you want me to follow in your footsteps? Christ-like, believer, actions speak louder than words. Faith without works is dead. I got to walk it out, not just talk it out. Man, it's easy to talk. A lot of you can talk your way out of wet paper bag, but when it comes to doing things, it's different, right? But Jesus walked it out. So what did Jesus do? Jesus did this. Watch this. He committed no sin. You see, a lot of times what happens when we're under pressure, when we're under fire, when we're under struggle, man, we're like that man, pot that's ready to bust open. Man, all of a sudden, man, we're on the stove, man, and man, we're like that pressure cooker. Man, all the pressures and the struggles and things of life, man, are coming against you, and all of a sudden, there it is. There it is. And you know what it is? All of a sudden, man, you just... Wham, this comes out. You do that. You do this and you do that. And you, out of your anger, you make excuses for your sin. 
I did this because he did that. I did this because she said that. And so what we do, we commit sin out of our pressures or our struggles or our hardships or our things that we're going through in life. We make excuses and say this, like Flip Wilson, the devil made me do it. And so what we do is he committed no sin. That's a tough follow. Sherry, that, that's tough. Jeff, that's tough. Committed no sin. But watch this. And no deceit was found in his mouth. Whew. Some pretty big shoes to fill. You know, gossip, gossip is talking about anything that doesn't pertain to you. Have you ever done that? How I many maybe have talked about your coworker? Maybe about your boss. Maybe about your pastor. The point is, is we're Christians, we follow in his footsteps. It may be tough now, but the reward is going to be great later. What you have now is only temporary. What you have with him is going to be eternal. So you got to ask yourself, what is more valuable, what I have now or what I'm going to obtain later? Because right now is a span of 76 years, the average life. But eternity is forever that I'm going to have peace, joy, contentment, favor, being in the presence of God, all these things. What do I want to sacrifice, 76 years or eternity? I want to be Christ-like. I want to be more like him. I want to be like him. So here he was. What is the first pitten that Jesus showed us to be like? Number one is this. He had commitment. The first pitten is that he put his life on, that he put his life on was commitment. You say, Pastor, what do you mean commitment? In Luke 22 was the point of Peter tottering. Now, in Luke 21, before I read Luke 22, in Luke 21, it talks about Jesus being at the table with his disciples, where he broke bread with his disciples. He had a moment with them, man, and he enjoyed the time of fellowship with them, Gretchen. And man, he was loving on his disciples, and all these things were happening. Judas ran away, and all this kind of stuff was happening there. But Jesus was dining, and how many of you know that people love food? I've always found if you want to have a big event, have food and have it free, and people will come. Somebody say amen. 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 And so Jesus was having a feast with his disciples. So it was a good moment. Now in chapter 23, guess what happened? In 23, it was the crucifixion. It was the crucifixion where Jesus was crucified. He was ridiculed, slandered. He was put to shame, spit on, pierced, all these things, cat of nine tails. But 22 was the pivotal point for you and I, where Jesus made a commitment, where his words were not cheap, but his action was deep. Jesus made a commitment to stay in there, even though it was tough. Jesus was on the teeter-totter where he could have said, forget this. I'm going to stay and dine with my disciples. Forget that. I don't want to be in 23 where I'm going to go through crucifixion and the beating and the flogging and the ridicule and all that kind of stuff. 
He was on that teeter-totter. But look what happens in Luke 22. Go ahead. He says these words. Jesus went out as unusual to a Mount of Olives. This was the turning point, the pivotal place for you and I. Why would he do it for me and you? Now, let me ask you something. As I read these words, we're supposed to have agape love. Agape love means, man, I love you, brother. I love you, agape. Agape love means I love you just as you are, who you are. I agape you. I accept you. So I always tell people, it's so funny when people call me. I always end my conversation. If you're a man or a woman, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm, I'm not, you know, whatever. But when I, when I end my conversation, I always say, hey, man, love you, man. And so funny when I, especially sometimes when I do it with guys, they're like, ah, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I love you too, man. Agape you. Harlan was one of those funny ones. Harlan's a man's man, right? And so when I first started coming here, I said to Harlan, Harlan, love you, man. Uh, Harlan looked at me like, what's up, dog? <laughs> right? But here he was. Now, when I read this, I want you to think about that. Now, I love the person to the right and to the left. And some of these are your relatives, your friends, whatever. Let me ask you something. But really, when the rubber met the road, or when the rubber meets the road, would you really lay down your life, Andy, for this man here? D, would you really lay down your life for her? Think about it. It's easy to say it until it really happens. Jesus was at that point. He was all in. You see, have you ever noticed that Jesus said, if you're lukewarm, he will do what? Spool you out of his mouth. That means you're not all in. What Jesus wants you, he wants you all in. Either you're in or you're out. With Jesus, there's not the lukewarmness. There's only either in or out. You can't put one foot in and one foot the other. That's why the Bible says you cannot have two masters. You're going to love one and hate the other. So watch this. Jesus was all in. Now, would you do this? And his disciples, you and I, you and I followed him. Boy, some pretty tough shoes to fill. Reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw behind them, knelt down and prayed. Now, what did Jesus pray? What Jesus prayed was all the pressure of taking upon the world, you and I, on his shoulders. He had a decision to make. Either I'm all in or I'm out. At this place in his life, Jesus made a commitment. And the commitment he made was this. Now watch what he says in the next verse. He says, Father, the pivotal place of our lives. This is why we are today. This is where we believe because Jesus was all in. He made the commitment. He says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. In other words, Lord, God, I, I, I don't want to do this. Ever felt like that before? God, I don't want to do this. I don't want to go to work. I don't want to stay in my marriage. I don't want to be in this business. Felt like that before? 
the teeter point of your life? Jesus could have said, I'm bailing. It's easy to run when things get tough. But what he said, yet not my will. Here's the point. Here's when he came all in. But your will be done. I'm crossing that threshold. Heidi, I'm making that step of commitment. I'm walking in to saying, I'm turning my back behind there, and I'm going forward, and I'm buying into being committed to whatever God's called me to do. God doesn't want us to be lukewarm, uncommittal people. He wants us to be committed. When I did the marriage yesterday, I wrote my sermon, and this is not on your notes, so if you want to write this down. I wrote my, I wrote my sermon uh, for, these, for Steve and Anya, and it was, I call it the four C's of marriage and uh, how to obtain and be strong in your marriage. And I call it the four C's of marriage. And number one, what it says is that you have to have common goals. Uh, the four C's of marriage is you have to have common goals. You have two or three agree, it shall be done. Plan your work, work your plan. When you have common goals in your marriage and you know where you're going, it gives you energy, enthusiasm, and excitement. That's the three E's, energy, enthusiasm, and excitement when you know where you're going. So you got to have common goals. That God, these are my common goals in my life. And then the second thing is that you have to be able to uh, communicate, that I have to communicate. You have to talk with one another. You have to break down barriers. You can't talk through the wall but you have to talk face-to-face, man-to-man, woman-to-man, and you have to talk to each other and break down those walls. The next thing I talked about in that thing was you have to cooperate. You can agree to disagree, but when it comes down to it, husband and wife, you have to find a place of agreement that you can agree to disagree, but yet cooperate to make things happen. But then the last C that I talked about and really drove home was the last C was commit. You have to stay committed in your marriage even when it doesn't feel good. Somebody say amen. You know, I love my wife to pieces, and I can say this because she's out, praise the Lord. Uh, but, but I love my wife to pieces. I love her to pieces. And there's a lot of times, man, I'm like that, man, grease movie. You better shape up. And then it's just, I got three chills. You know what I'm talking about? I get chills when I see my wife. I, I, I love my wife. She's my pookie woman, 38 years, right? But you know what? There are times in my life that she's not so lovable. But do I cast her out and look for a new one? No. I love her, but I may not love what she's doing at the time. But I don't bail. And it's the same way with your job. It's the same way with whatever you're going through in life, school, work, rest, or play, Milky Way, whatever it may be. You have to stay in there. Somebody say amen. Now watch what he says. Watch what he said. Yet not my will, but your will. He transferred into that commitment. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being anguished, he prayed and earnestly. He sweat like with uh, was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Talk about commitment. Talk about staying in there. Talk about stick to itness. You see, listen, this is the moment of truth. This is the moment of truth. Would he or wouldn't he go through with what he was called to do? He's committed. He was committed to you. Why? Because he loves you. 
What is the central theme of the word of God? John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Sherman, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Who is the world? It's you and I. What did he do? He loved us. He loved us so much that he committed himself to die for you and I. That's what you call love. That's what you call commitment. He was all in. You see, this, is, this was the turning point for us that we today have eternal life because he followed through or stayed committed to the task. He stayed committed to the task. What are you in right now? What are you in right now that you want to quit? What are you in right now that you want to give up? And then when you think about what you want to quit and why you want to give up and why you want to throw in a towel, the next question is why? And then the next question is from that is, is it worth it? And then the next question from that is, what will you do after that? Because after every commitment that you break, there's always an aftermath that follows with the uncommitment. There's always an aftermath that goes with the breaking of the commitment. There's a mess you have to clean up from breaking the commitment. I'll tell you, when I went through some of the things that I went through, man, going back to the dumps from the mountain peak to the lows, Man, I man's laid in my bed many times, thank God. But God said, stay committed. You see, in your life, let me tell you something. In your life, you're going to be challenged with things of commitment. You're going to be challenged with things of tough time. But are you going to bail? You see how we walking? Oh, God, do I have to? Not again! But each step you take... It's getting closer to your victory. Did you get that? Each step you take is getting closer to your victory if you stay in there. Quitting never sees the finish line. Quitting never sees the finish line. Quitting never sees the finished product. Quitting only sees the mess when you give up. The leftovers. When you give up. You see, today, commitment seems pretty cheap. If the value of something is determined by the way it's treated, then commitment doesn't have much merit. It's cheap in marriage, cheap in business, cheap in politics, and even cheap in athletics. Wow. We live in a time where we appear to be wrapped up in cynicism, stuffed with unbelief, enrolled in fear and doubts. And because we're so walked up in fear and doubt, cynicism, what we do is instead of being committed, we're like in the tug of war of life. Back and forth, back and forth. You know what the old cliche is? You bloom where you're planted. And what that means, you bloom where you're committed. You bloom where you're planted. You bloom where you're committed. If you take a plant and you keep uprooting it, uprooting it, taking it over here, taking it over there, guess what's going to happen? You're going to kill it. 
And if you continue to break commitments and things in your life, eventually you're going to kill the life in you because you're not seeing prosperity. You're not seeing fruit in your life. You're not seeing success in your life. You're not seeing wins in your life. You're not seeing victories in your life because you're always uprooting. You're always over there, and you're always over there, but you're never crossing over the finish line. You see, we live in a time where we appear to be wrapped up in that. We have lost our way, and it appears to blur our concept of commitment. How many of you are <clears throat> maybe uh, runners? Maybe we have any runners here, track stars? I, anybody that ran track in school, whatever? There you go, got a few. Let me ask you something. When you ran track, did you run the 95-yard dash? Maybe did you run the 215-yard dash or the 435-yard dash? In other words, when you ran the race, you ran the 100-yard. You didn't stop at 95. You didn't stop at the 215 or the 435. You ran the 440, the 220, and the 100. And so many times what happens, the hardest part of the race sometimes is at the end. And the reason why sometimes the hardest part of the race sometimes is at the end is because you're given all your energy three-fourths of the way, and you're exhausted and tired now. You're reaching for whatever else is in you and what is left in you. You're reaching forth for that last five yards. And what happens when you're in a 100-yard dash? They're always leaning like, wow. And the reason why they're leaning is to cross over the finish line. But many times we don't cross the finish line because we veer off to the right or to the left when things get tough. You ever notice in football, which the football season's starting, ah, oh, you're ready for some football, right? I'm ready. I, I got football fever. I, I, love, I love my words, P words. I won't say it because I know there's the V's in here, and I know there's the B's in here, and I know there's the D's in here. I ain't even going to say the teams. Amen? You just figure out your own, right? But anyways, have you ever noticed, Mark, in football, Lisa, what happens in football is say you're on the one-yard line getting ready to score, and everybody likes it when you score. I like it now that the NFL allows the players to do a little touchdown dance, amen? I remember back in my day was Icky Woods, and he would do all the, remember that Icky Woods shuffle and all this kind of crazy stuff? I like that now. It's fun. Adds a little more flavor to the game. But anyways, have you ever noticed, Brian, when they're on the one-yard line, what does the defense do? They put their biggest guys in. Barb, they put their biggest guys in. And the reason is their biggest guys, more weight, harder to push, harder to move, to stop you from advancing going one yard. Sometimes in life, before any victory, now you got to get this in your heart. you got to get this in your heart. Please hear your pastor. Sometimes in life, before any victory, before any breakthrough, before any triumph in your life, you're going to face the biggest blockers, the biggest defense, the biggest men, the biggest attacks, the biggest strongholds in your life because it's trying to prevent you from crossing over the one-yard line to receiving your victory or your touchdown because the enemy doesn't want you to dance. He wants you to frown. And many times what happens, we give up too quick. We bail too quick. 
We say, I'm breaking the commitment, and the enemy's laughing, and we're sad, we're mad, and we're upset. We're shaking our fist at God when God never gave up on you, but you gave up on him. And God said, you push through. Don't let the lion roar and intimidate you and put his big blockers out there to stop you because your victory's one yard away if you stay committed. If you stay committed. If you ever notice um, soldiers, and I was getting ready to close, go ahead and get my wife and she can get ready for the backpack. Um, the soldiers, when they would go up back in the olden days, when they go out and advance into territory, what they would do is they would take their, their army and they would cross over bridges. And the whole army would cross over a bridge. And once the last soldier crossed over that bridge, the sergeant of the army would yell out, burn the bridge! Burn the bridge! And so what they would do is they would torch that bridge. And the reason why they did that was because there was no turning back. There was no turning back. There was no turning back in what God called them to do. You see, listen, God wants you to not burn your bridge. And sometimes in life, there's going to be struggles, there's going to be hardships, there's going to be pain. But God wants you to burn the bridge. Don't look back, but look ahead. I close with this story, true story. Many of you know, you hear me talk about the leper many times. But if you know, if you study about the leper, what happens with a leper is the first thing what happens with a leper, it's not just the scales that happen on their arms and the infection that takes place. The first thing that happens with a leper is their nerve ending and their sensitivity is gone. They lose it. They lose all their sensitivity, lose their nerve ending. And the leper, if you study, they could be walking down the street and guess what? Their arm just fall off. No kidding. Because they lose all the sensitivity and nerve endings that what happens, it decays like their arm so they don't even know that they're losing it, that they can walk and bloop. Their arm falls off. Or they can walk and their, their leg just breaks. So you know what the cry of the leper is? The cry of the leper is, God, let me feel pain. Let me feel pain. Let me be able to have sensitivity that God's not running from pain, but let me feel pain. You see, listen, as we close, go ahead and put this one up there. I know I went way ahead for the sake of time. Pain is there sometimes to see how committed you will be in the midst of your storm of marriage. Feeling some pain? Feeling a little squeezed? <laughs> Pain is there sometimes to see how committed you will be in the midst of your storm of marriage, your job, your relationships, with your kids. My kids, they're so wayward. Pain. Maybe you need to cry out, God, let me feel pain. Because maybe you become insensitive to that. And because every time you feel pain, you want to run and you want to get out of the commitments. And God says, no, 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 no. You're walking. Oh, God. Oh, God. 
hard to feel the footsteps of the Lord. You see, listen, relationships, etc. The question is, will you stay committed? Some time ago, Cheryl and I, we took a cruise. We went to Alaska, and we took the ship, the Princess. And part of the excursion of the Princess was we got to see the glaciers. And they call it Glacier Bay. And here we are on this ship. This ship is four football fields long. It's huge. The Princess. And when you go into Glacier Bay, it's so sensitive. It, they can't have sound. They can't have waves. They can't have any wrestling going on, even vibrations from the motor, that this huge ship, they have to literally turn the motor off in Glacier Bay because the glaciers are that sensitive. Well, my wife, she went to get a massage. I went on the, the, the upper deck and looked out the upper deck on the top floor and was looking at the glaciers. You got to get this. Looking at the glaciers. And I had the privilege, trust me, it was a privilege. How many have been in that storm that just went through luck and all that stuff? And I went through that and the snapping of the trees. It's crazy, isn't it? Scary. And I went through that, but I had the privilege of hearing the glaciers split. And I mean, it was a ripping away. And just magnify that a billion times and we're in this cove glacier bay and you're seeing this glacier rip away and people are like oh, oh, oh we're in this ship four football fields long and we weren't going oh ah, ah, once that glacier fell off it hit the water and guess what that football field ship Four football fields long. Guess what it did? Rock the boat. Don't rock the boat, baby. And you know what the people did? They changed their ooh and ah to ah, we're going under Titanic. Fear hit. Wigs were flying off. People were screaming. Isn't that exactly what happened in John 6? They just left the shore where Jesus, Jesus Jesus did great things. He did great things. Now Jesus says to the disciples, now Mike, get out in the boat. Who is the disciples? It's you and I. He said, get out in the boat. Come on, Mark. Come on, Lisa, get in the boat. Come on, Glenn, get in the boat. Come on, Becky, get in the boat. When they got in the boat, the water was calm. But when he got out in the middle of the lake, the waves came, just like what happened with the glacier. And what happened? As soon as the pressure came, they forgot about the goodness of God. They forgot about the faithfulness of God. They forgot about what God did here. They forgot about how God pulled them through before. He'll do it again. All of a sudden, Jesus came walking on the water. And what did they do? We're afraid. Jesus said, don't be afraid. It is I. And as soon as Jesus came in the boat, it became still. Sometimes what happens when you're going through the pressures of life and storms of life, you forget who your anchor is. You forget who your support is. You forget who your, your, your God says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. You bail ship. 
But when Jesus came into that circumstance, they went on the other side of the lake. Are you ready to quit? Are you ready to bail? You see, if you want to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, you have to be all in. You have to be committed to the task, to the plan of what God has for your life. Someone say amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Adventure Church. Would you consider a financial gift to help support this ministry? Giving is simple and safe. Just go to our website, www.adventurechurchsiren.com and click on the Give tab. Thank you for your generous gift.